0: That Paul wrote to a church in Greece in thessalonica it 's called first Thessalonians, chapter five it 's on page one one eight what sorry one one eight eight and um, we 're just going to look at the verses that will come up on the screen. Uh, the letter itself is full of many things, and we 've over the past couple of weeks just looked at some of these last bits of this letter it 's a wonderful letter, and then uh, Paul says this. May God Himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful, and He will do it. Who's this for? Well, it's for you. It's for doubters, people who struggle with their faith. It's for seekers, people who are looking. It's for unbelievers, for those who as yet do not believe so that you may learn about God and come to see that he's worth uh, not only believing in but committing your life to. It's for those of you who are believers but are discouraged and those of you who are believers but are fearful because there's so many things happening in your life and going on in your head. It is for the families of Elizabeth and Finley because when we... Baptize the children. I'll say just now that there are some Christians who don't think you should baptize children, and that's an, a, an understandable and a position which I respect and honor. But there are others who think that it's right to baptize the children. But sometimes people come and ask for baptism for a child, and they ask for it in the wrong way. And I know that these two families uh, haven't done so. And what I mean by in a wrong way is this: they they think it's superstition. They think you bring the child and you sprinkle some holy water and it's not holy water it's just water and that somehow that's them it's okay it's like a good luck charm that's not what we're doing here today others think that it's kind of like we better get the child done and honestly i've had people phone me up and say you do my way no not 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 when you put it like that uh, baptism is, is something much, much more than that. But it's a symbol and it's a sign, and it's a sign of what we're going to speak of just now, of what Elizabeth and Finlay and their families need and what we all need. In the letter that I've written to you, I quote from a previous minister of this church, Robert Murray McShane, whose grave is out there. He's a very famous minister. And one time, And he'd struggled a wee bit with depression and he wasn't very well. And so one of the leaders of the church in Edinburgh said, I tell you what, why don't you go to Israel? They didn't have EasyJet in 1839. And it was a six month journey on which he nearly got killed. Uh, I have a walking stick which was given to him after he got beaten almost to death by two Polish shepherds in Austria. Yeah, it's an amazing story. But um, he wrote to the congregation before he left. And he had been quite discouraged. And he said, I hope to return to you happier, holier, and a more useful minister. And and when he returned, it was to a real shock, because when he returned, this church was packed. I mean, overflowing, balconies, downstairs, everything, out to the graveyard. It was just an extraordinary revival had taken place while he was away, so may God grant that would be repeated. Um, In fact, it's really interesting... Uh, you may not find this interesting, but I do. The church was so packed, they asked if they could hold meetings down at Magdalen Green, and the council refused them. And why did the council refuse? Because they were scared there was going to be riots. Uh, they were really scared of the, you know, the, the politics of it as well, and the chartists, and they thought this was just a guys, And it wasn't. It was people wanting to find and know about Jesus. But I love that phrase, happier, holier, and more useful. So, we're going to look at this and we're going to look, and I hope in such a way that uh, you will just, if you're not a Christian, you'll say, I want that. And if you are a Christian, you'll say, I want it more. So, begin just simply by this simple phrase: May God Himself the God of peace. Now, Paul loves this phrase. Romans 15:33. The God of peace be with you all. Amen. Romans 16:20. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. Second Corinthians thirteen eleven. Finally, brothers and sisters, rejoice. Strive for full restoration. Encourage one another. Be of one mind. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. Philippians 4, 9. Whatever you have learned or received from me or seen in me, put it into practice. And the God of peace will be with you. 2 Thessalonians 3.16 Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times and in every way the Lord be with all of you. So the idea of peace is really important to Paul. And of course you're going to hear it in church and some churches you'll go to and you get the sign of peace and some people say you know, give one another the hug of peace uh, or whatever that is. Um, The background that I am from in the Scottish Highlands the hug of peace would soon be the hug of war if you tried it. But it's, you know, it's, we, we talk, you expect, everyone's for peace. I mean, who's against peace? Everyone's for peace. But, Duncan Grigg just put his hand up to say he's against peace, and that shouldn't surprise anybody. There's always one. The God of peace. At the beginning of this letter, he'd said, may grace and peace be with you. And we, we saw last week that grace is the thing that causes joy. And peace, I just want to, I think when we think of peace, Although we know it's a good thing it's a negative concept in this. We mean it's the lack of something. So it's the lack of conflict. So it's Mother's Day and occasionally there are those of you who are mothers who have been heard to say or have thought to your kids, "Give me some peace." Which just really means "Go away. Let me be. Let's have let's have some peace." And there are some of you who are in work situations or relationship situations and there's tension and conflict and you want peace because peace means the absence of tension and conflict in churches as well. It means, so the kind of the absence of war. The Greek word that's used here, and I know I'm going to pronounce this wrong, so forgive me, uh, Thanos and Maria, but Irene, or uh, from which we get the word irenic, it it was used to translate the Hebrew term shalom. And shalom has a different idea of peace because it's not just the absence of war but it means what we would call wholeness or prosperity in every way and that's what we wish for Elizabeth and for Finley and for their families and for us all this, this idea of completeness and of wholeness now what does that look like? well just keep going My God himself the God of peace sanctify you through and through Okay, that doesn't immediately strike a chord with most people in our culture. What does sanctify mean? It means make you holy. But holy, what does that mean? Um, If someone ever says to you, you're awful holy, it's not necessarily a compliment. Um, What do they mean by that? Oh, he looks really holy. Uh, I um, have a, some of you have seen, I have a, a black kind of trilby hat and a long black coat and so on and added a long black scarf and the number of comments i've had from people just made me wear it again but um i was being told i look like van morrison or uh the that uh, german guy that cuts up dead bodies on the telly uh or (laughs) the other one i like the van morrison one or the other one was you look like a holy man my dad actually said, and he's here so I apologize for this, but my dad said you look like something out like the 1950s, one of these wandering evangelists or something. And, and that's because people associate holiness with blackness and a certain austerity. That's not how the Bible looks at holiness. Holiness carries so many different ideas and it's so important. It means, it, its root meaning is kind of separate for God. It means devoted to God. It means a good Dundonian word, pure. It means pure without fault. It means good and it's something that is extraordinarily beautiful. In fact, pure holiness, pure purity if you like, is so stunningly beautiful that if we were to come into the presence of God in all his holiness, we couldn't stand it. We would bow down, we would be so utterly utterly amazed at it and Paul says I want you to be holy I'm praying that God would make you holy now we are called to sanctify ourselves be holy says God as I am holy but this idea of sanctification being made holy is really the work of God's Holy Spirit it's something that Jesus does, Ephesians five twenty six, to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word. That's speaking of the church. It's something that the Spirit does, Romans fifteen sixteen. He gave me the priestly duty of proclaiming the gospel of God so that the Gentiles might become an offering acceptable to God, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. I was struck when Richard was praying that um, he spoke of the congregation here as an evidence of the goodness of God. And that's exactly right. That's what Paul is saying, that he's called me to proclaim the gospel and so that the Gentiles, those who don't know God yet, may become an an offering acceptable to God, made holy by the Holy Spirit. And you'll notice that he says it's through and through. We understand that. Um, If you were out this week in the pouring rain, and you were walking it and you say I got soaked through I got drenched through and through well here is being made holy through and through and he uses a word that's, that's not used I don't think anywhere else in the, in the Bible holotellus, which means wholeness and completeness so he says may God make you holy may God sanctify you through and through and that's It's not just hearing doctrine. It's not just accepting what the Bible says. It's God working in your life that makes such a phenomenal difference. I'll pray for Elizabeth and I'll pray for Finley and he'll say, "Ah, you know, you're praying for a wee bear and how can they hear you and understand? Well, if you're a Christian, you should know your Bibles. You should know that Jeremiah was called from the womb and you should know that John the Baptist was filled with the Holy Spirit in the womb. Extraordinary thing. When you're praying for these children, don't don't pray thinking, well, only later on when they can understand will God work in their lives. No, we believe God's working in their lives already and may he continue to do so. Calvin says about this, that Paul, accordingly, knowing that all doctrine is useless unless God engraves it, as it were, with his own finger upon our hearts, beseeches God that he would sanctify the Thessalonians. I have the most difficult job in the world as well as, for me, the most wonderful The most difficult job in the world is conveying to you the beauty and glory of God and teaching his, his word to you. But as Calvin says, it's useless. It's useless unless God's finger is on your heart, engraving it. And it's amazing that he does that. And that's what he prays for. May he sanctify you through and through. But he's not done. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Blameless is a word, again, that's only used here in the New Testament. What does it mean? None of us are blameless until we die because everyone's a saint at their funeral. Nobody ever does anything wrong at their funeral, even if they're the most awful person in the world. They usually get lauded by whoever is taking the funeral. But how many times have you been at a funeral and there have been all these wonderful things said about the person who's died and some of the people that he's hurt the most are sitting there and they're going, yeah, right. They, don't know. they feel guilty because they feel so bad because they know that the person they mourn even did a lot of harm. But none of us are blameless, not one. This says we're praying that we may be faultless. And I think that is telling us something of Again, God working in our lives and God changing us and God forgiving us and the forgiveness of the, of, of the gospel and of the good news of Jesus Christ is so important. If you think, I'm not faultless just now, but I will be eventually, I'm just gonna work towards it, you never will. And here's the amazing thing about becoming a Christian, by the way. When you become a Christian, you don't suddenly go from this position of, being a rotten, miserable sinner to being the most wonderful saint and everything's great. What happens is you become a Christian and actually as you go on in the Christian life, more and more you realize how messed up you really are. Christianity is not comfortable. it's It reveals things to you and and we don't want to know. We, we live in a culture which suppresses things. But God loves us enough that he he wants to strip away things just bit by bit by bit usually. He doesn't usually do it all at once. And that's what Paul is asking for here. He's saying, look, I want you to realize and I want you to know that it's only God who can make you holy. You can't make yourself holy. You can follow your dreams and they'll just end up being nightmares. You need wholeness. And he says, of spirit, soul, and body. Now, those of you who are philosophically minded and theologically minded, which is at least three of you, you will, you will, you will know that this is a, um, a verse used in an argument. What is um, human beings? Are we soul and body, or are we soul, spirit and body? And, and people argue about that. But I, I'm absolutely convinced that this, is no, this has nothing to do with that argument. It's not teaching a tripartite view of humanity One uh, writer on this says, Paul is not analyzing the nature of man, but he's uttering a fervent prayer that the entire man be preserved. And again, I think that Calvin is right in this when he says that the spirit is reason and intelligence, the soul is will and affection, and you have the body. And what he's saying is our emotions Mm. and our mind Mm. and, and our bodies that God is interested in them all I read a booklet this week that's been produced by a church in which somebody says why are people interested in what I do with my body because God's not interested in that God's just interested in the soul I thought Jesus just came to save our souls no if you believe that you're not believing what the Bible says may God sanctify your whole spirit, soul and body the idea that the church or Jesus is just interested in your soul it's not New Testament Christianity it's what we call Gnosticism the view that the body doesn't matter. Yes, it does. The view that the heart, how you feel, doesn't matter. Yes, it does. It's all tied in. And so what Paul is saying is, may your whole spirit, soul, and body, may every part of you, be kept blameless. And there's a good word, um, which to me only sounds good if it's spoken by Northern Irish people. So I should get Chris to come up and say it. And that's sound. It's just when it's said by an Ulster person, it just it sounds so. Good' A sound, it's sound. And that's the word what it means here. He's saying, "May you be kept sound. May your whole spirit, soul and body be kept sound." It's very equivalent to shalom. But there's an immediate problem, isn't there? Soundness of health in your body. But I don't have that, you may say. How can I ask for it? Are you one of these people who's saying, if only you pray, then all your sickness will be taken away, that cancer will go, that illness will go, those headaches will go. You never have to suffer the menopause, you never have to go through anything. No, no, no. That's not what this is saying. It's saying that yes, in this life, you can experience tremendous wholeness of body. And it's wonderful when you do. But we are in bodies of clay. Outwardly, we're wasting away, says Paul, but inwardly, we're being renewed day by day. But this is a really important part of Christianity. Those people who think they make Christianity more acceptable by rejecting this are, I think, demeaning the work of Christ because they say, well, it's just your spirit lives on and uh, through your ancestors and whatever, and Jesus didn't really physically rise from the dead. Yes, he did, and he physically rose from the dead to guarantee our physical resurrection. Not in the kind of bodies that we have at the moment, which de facto are failing. All of us, that is the case. But one day, if you are a believer in Christ, you die, you go to heaven, and after the final judgment, you will be reunited with a body which... Won't decay. Now, I actually don't know what that looks like, and it's a body that won't decay—not because of Botox or or anything being pumped into your body. It's 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 just and just an incredible idea, and that's what Paul is saying here. He's saying, "May God sanctify you in your whole spirit, soul, and body." Now, yes, but ultimately, you must realize He's concerned. As He speaks here of the second coming, He's concerned with the end of all things. And that wholeness, when he says, "Your whole spirit," it's, again, it's one of these words that it's used of the stone and the altar in the Old Testament. And it's possible that Paul had this idea of sacrifice in his head, because in Romans 12:1 he says, "I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship." See, when you become a Christian, it's not like you develop this spiritual bit in your life. And then there's the physical bit and then there's the emotional bit and the family bit and all the rest of it. What it is, is that everything is given to God and God cares for your body and God cares for your mind and God cares for your, your, your heart and your spirit. And that even extends, I think, to our works because maybe we kept blameless. Here's a, a problem for many of us. We do things that are good. So I'm standing up here preaching God's word to you, which is a good, you know, you'd think lots of kudos for that. Tick the box. You get a lot of stars in heaven in in the, you know, kind of sort of brownie tick box type thing. But no, because I do it as a sinful person and always motives are mixed and always get things wrong and that's always going to be the way. So we tend to think, how can we ever do anything that's blameless? How can we be kept blameless? Even our best works are like filthy rags, well, as I read this this morning, I just thought it was beautiful i 'm rephrasing it because it 's John Owen and if I read it to you in the original language, which is his peculiar form of 17th century English, it would take a lot of deciphering. But what he says is this: Jesus Christ takes whatever is evil and unsavory in our works, and he makes them acceptable. Like when an unskillful servant gathers many herbs, flowers, and weeds in a garden, you take them and you accept them from the servant and then you take out the ones that are useless and you throw them away. And he says Christ does this with our good works, with what he calls our performances. He takes away all the ingredients of self and then he adds the incense to what remains and presents it to God. And I I love that picture. I love that picture of God Taking our works and um, adding Jesus, adding the incense, so that the flavouring, the, the the thing that makes it outstanding, the spice, if you like, and then it's presented to God, and our works, which are like filthy rags, are suddenly presented as this marvellous and wonderful thing. Mm. It's a bit like if I don't know if any of the mothers here had this today, but your child is desperate to cook you breakfast. You are not so desperate to have that breakfast because they're not very good at it. But anyway, they go downstairs and they mess the kitchen, you know, and they do everything, they come up to you and it's barely edible. But you love it because of the effort and everything. And what you do is you, you you do away with the bad bits, you know. You make you go down and clean the kitchen yourself, and it would have been far easier if they hadn't done it. It's a lot more work for you, but never mind, you do it. And the food that's there, the bits that are burnt, you you cut that off and put that aside. And you actually end up eating something that's really, really nice because it's a meal that's cooked with love. Mm. And I think that is that is the image of what God does with us, that, mm. that what we do for Jesus ends up being Blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Owen says this God accepts a little, and Christ makes our little a great deal. So I want to encourage Christians, especially the little that you do, the tiny little that you do, what a difference that makes when God takes it and uses it. We will be presenting Catherine and. Sorry Elizabeth I'm so good with names Elizabeth and Finley we will be presenting Elizabeth and Finley and we know that their lives will not be perfect and we know that they will not be perfect but we know this that God will keep them and protect them and preserve them and use them for his glory and so he finishes the one who calls you is faithful and he will do it there's Paul is certain his prayers are going to be heard and he's certain that they're going to be kept. How can we be kept? How can they be kept? How can Elizabeth and Finley be kept? Is it because of our faithfulness? No, it's because God is faithful. The one who calls you is faithful and he will do it. 2 Thessalonians 3.3 3, The Lord is faithful and he will strengthen you and protect you from the evil one. You will hear many times in this church a call to you as a christian to be faithful but god forbid that that should ever be the message alone the message is god is faithful god you are able to be faithful because god is faithful and he keeps his promises so there's a calling that comes and there's a confidence that comes and maybe i'll just finish this by applying it in two different ways For those of you who are not yet Christians, talks about until the Lord comes looking forward to a better world. I just ask something that's very, very simple. Very simple. Are you ready to meet Jesus? Are you ready to stand before your maker? And I would suggest to you that you're not. And I would suggest to you that you need to be. And I would suggest to you that this being made holy in your whole spirit, soul, and body, this wholeness, I would suggest to you you're not going to find it in politics. You're not going to find it in money. You're not going to find it in spirituality. You're not going to find it in religion. You're not going to find it in traveling the world. You're not going to find it in yourself. You're not going to find it in your inner being. You will only find it through Jesus Christ. And it's a bit like the story that Jesus told of a man who discovered a treasure in a field and he, he uh, sold everything that he had so that he could get that field, so he could have that treasure. Or another story that he told, and we, ha- we have an apt illustration of it in our own congregation, of a woman who lost a coin or her wedding ring. And uh, for those of you who are looking at the notice, Jacintha Jacinta found it, uh, a melted snowman was the answer which is wonderful. So we're very thankful because losing your wedding ring, if you feel dreadful, but you hunt for it, you really do. You put the notice in the church. You're, you're beyond the embarrassment stage. Put a notice in. You know, look under every single chair. It was in the church or maybe it got left or it's was up in the balcony and we were people were looking up in the balcony and then as the snow melted, there it was and that'll teach you not to as an adult go out and play in the snow. But you find the ring. You find the ring. You're just so happy. Well, I want to say this to you if you're not a Christian. I'm not interested in you becoming religious. I'm not interested in you becoming part of the church or fitting in with this view or that view. I'm just saying this. I want you to be whole and I want you to be happy and I want you to be healthy. I want you to be holy because that's what God wants and it's the greatest thing possible. And it is like finding, you, you, you're looking for something all your life and it's just there. It's just there. I remember a woman came to church once and she'd promised a friend I'm going to go for six weeks because I want to give it a fair shot. And she went home, you know, never having been in church before. She went home and she said to her friend, forget six weeks, I'm in for life. Because I found it. And that's it. You found it. Found that, that. That's what all this is about. And if you're not yet a Christian, let me tell you this. I've been a Christian for, what, 40 years? And I'm still finding it, if you see what I mean. How can you... Sorry, you too, I still haven't found what I'm looking for. That wasn't a song of doubt. That was a song of faith. He's saying, I have found it. I want more, I want more, I want more. And that's what it is for Christians. So if you're not a Christian, please seek Christ. And if you are a Christian, remember this. God is the one who calls you. And look at it, he will do it. Psalm 138 verse eight, the Lord will vindicate me. Your loving Lord endures forever. Do not abandon the works of your hands. He who begins a good work will complete it. Some of you are coming to the ends of your life and you've been a Christian since you were so high. And as you come towards the end of your life, let's be honest, right now you look in the mirror and you're full of fears and doubts and you're wondering, what was all that about? Has God let me down? Have I let him down? Do I believe? What's going on? And there's there's all these different things that flood in upon you. And I want to tell you where you're going wrong. You're looking in the mirror at yourself and you're forgetting that God has said, I will do it. Begun a good work, I'll bring it to completion. There's no need for you to finish badly because it's not up to you because God has said he will do it. And you need to listen to what God says. He's not telling you now, go out and do this and do this and do this. He's saying, listen to me, listen to me. I will do it. That's what Paul says. The one who calls you is faithful and he will do it. Some of you are just beginning the Christian life and you just hit the first roadblock and you just had your first spiritual stitch and, and you're beginning to panic and you're thinking, oh, I let God down or how do I cope with this? No, no, no. He will do it. He will do it. Let me maybe apply it in this way for those who are called to a particular work and uh, forgive me for being personal. I'm called to a particular work in teaching God's word and in, in, in the congregation here and so on. And seriously, if I was to look at myself, I'd walk away because I can't do it. I can't do it. But he will do it. He will do it. That's the confidence that we have here. He who begins a good work will complete it. The God of peace sanctify you through and through. Your whole spirit, soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful and he will do it. Be encouraged. May God bless his word to us. Now we're going to, um, well no, let me pray first. Lord, thank you for your word and thank you for the just the the depth within it, and the particular way that it applies to each one of us here, and some things that will have been said, O oh Lord, go right into our very inmost being, and grant that that you would work, that your finger would inscribe it on our hearts and lives, and grant that we would go from this place changed. Be with us as we continue to worship in your name, Amen. Now we're going to sing the song. We praise God for His covenant and. Um, if someone can go and ask uh, the children to come back in, and uh, if the clecks and the Robertsons can come up to the front with their babies, please, and uh, then we will have the baptism, sing something else, and, and finish. But. This is just a song about why we baptize and what we're doing. And uh, as we sing this, please think about it as well. May we praise God for his covenant with Abraham long ago. Let's stand and sing this to God's praise.